0: Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather. Now at ChumpaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group. No purchase necessary. Avoid where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky
1: Land Casino. Asking
0: people, what's the
1: weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky?
0: In line at the deli, I guess? Haha, uh-huh, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You
1: are listening to a Hillbilly Horror Stories classic episode.
0: This podcast is part of the BombPod Media Network. (laughs) Paranormal just hit the lights Goosebumps all through the night Mixing just a little bit of twain That girl sure can't do a thing Together hillbillies go insane Laugh so hard it'll hurt your brain Podcast you won't ever change These two here they got the recipe Sat on back and listen in To some of our darkest mysteries Zane. Welcome to Hillbilly Horror Stories And now here's your host Jerry and Tracy Pauly
2: And their dog Ninja.
0: This is my time. Yeah.
1: Welcome to episode 74 of Hillbilly Horror Stories. My name is Jerry and I'm here with Tracy. Hey
3: guys, what's going on this weekend?
1: Um, cool story for you guys. First of all, uh, we've got, um, you heard the this, this song uh, My Town from Montgomery Gentry. Uh, we lost uh, Troy Gentry, who is a Kentucky boy, earlier this year. So he was one of the uh, big time music losses that we had in 2017. Yeah, so actually it was last year, not earlier this year. 2018 yeah. Mm-hmm. So we, we did lose him So um, I thought it would be kind of fitting to play that song Especially since we're doing the story on My Hometown And uh, that's what everything is going to be on tonight Obviously we want to say thanks to all of our military and civil servants All over the world, no matter what country you're uh, supporting We are glad that you're out there doing it Amen,
3: God bless every one
1: of you We're going to start off the show tonight With uh, prayers to our a good friend, Phil Holmes, host of Scared, who uh, yesterday lost his mother. Uh, she was, uh, I believe, 93 years old, and uh, she'd been battling some health issues, and uh, we just wanted to reach out to Phil and tell him that we were thinking about you. I know a lot of you guys listen to his show yeah, as well. Yeah, so. bless
3: you, Phil. I feel for you, honey. I mean, being so far away, it's really hard, And um, but just know that you have your angel beside you now all the time, and it's really a blessing.
1: Yep, absolutely, and uh, like I said, uh, I, know, I know it was Gabriel's grandmother and obviously yeah. Phil's uh, mom, so we uh prayers to you and your family out there Yeah. Alright, let's um, first say that because this is in Louisville and I'm actually working in Louisville every day I had a chance to actually shoot some cool video that I put up on YouTube that you can go to our Facebook page and see of most of the sites that we're going to talk about
3: tonight. Yeah, that's so, great, glad you did that
1: That sounded sarcastic.
3: No, I'm glad you did that.
1: You're glad I did it when you were not around so you didn't have to get out in the freezing cold and do it? Is that what you meant? Not at
3: all. I was sitting in the van while you did it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right. So most of you have seen the post on our Facebook page. And uh, so I've kind of been teasing this all week long. This is um, Old Louisville is actually listed by many uh, different people. As the most haunted neighborhood in America. Yeah. And it, you know, it goes back, a lot of these homes go back to the early 1800s. The main part that we're going to be talking about is about later 1800s, around the 1880s. Uh, but I've got, there, there are so many different stories to tell. Just picking a handful of them was hard. I know we did a little mini episode on the DuPont Mansion, which was mm-hmm. one of the little houses. And when we did that, I was thinking, you know, we probably just need to do a whole show on Old Louisville. It's funny that we've made it 74 episodes and not de- did a show on a Louisville. <laughs> That's right there true. where we're at, and it's one of the most haunted places. You know, we've done Waverly uh, because everybody thinks about that, but nobody really thinks about a neighborhood.
3: I know, and the haunted. homes are just, I mean, amazingly beautiful, too.
1: Yeah, so like I said, you'll be able to see some of that in the video uh, that we posted. So as we talk about the stories tonight, I'll tell you what we, what videos we actually have. And I know we posted a, a couple of them on our Patreon page. I still got one more to post and a couple Actually, I think I was the only one I posted them on the Patreon page. Oh, really? But if okay. you go, if you go to our uh, Hillbilly Horror uh, YouTube page, they're on there. Yeah. So check let's check them out. Let's jump into this because what we've got is I've got four stories from Old Louisville, and then Steve Asher, who's been on the show before. He's the author for the uh, Hauntings of the Kentucky State Penitentiary, but he is—he's actually got another book that'll be out in February. We'll let him tell you about that one, but it's on a, a mental institution in Hopkinsville, Kentucky, and uh, he's, his theme is uh, places in Kentucky, but obviously the Kentucky State Reformatory or Penitentiary, and then he's obviously got this book, and now he's working on one, on uh, a place called the Pink Palace, which is a, a very old home in the St. James neighborhood of Old wow. Louisville. So it's going to be tied right into everything we're, we're talking about. So he's going to come on here at the end of the show and tell us about the Pink yeah, Palace. Yes, good for him. All right, so the first story we're going to talk about, there's a bed and breakfast, at the corner of 4th Street and Park in Old Louisville, it, it was for years, since like the late 80s, called the Inn at the Park. Uh, so oh. you can go spend the night there, beautiful place, and they've just recently, in the process of changing the name to Louisville Bourbon Inn. So they've changed all the decor inside to be uh, more of a bourbon theme, but it's mm-hmm. supposed to be really tastefully done. And then all the food and everything they have has some type of bourbon, bourbon infused. hmm so
3: sounds good.
1: Yeah, so it'd be a cool place to go. But we talked about the uh, Dupont Mansion in one of our many episodes, the uh, on the patrons, mm-hmm. and this the Dupont Mansion is actually right across the street from this. Oh, and the Dupont is actually a bed and breakfast that that the same people own. Oh, I
2: didn't realize. So it's their right sister. The yeah,
1: they're right across the street, and these people own it, so you can actually spend the night at both of them if oh, you're in Louisville and want to say that cool on place. Now this place is actually it's a it's a it's a large brick residence. It's got a beautiful staircase inside that curves all the way up to the second floor oh, wow. and what you'll find out about this staircase is it's going to play a prominent role okay. in this story but it's also it, it's kind of funny to look at as far as like you know you hear people talk about in a house having places having wasted space yeah and course. that's kind of the way this is because the, the staircase at the bottom takes up most of the room in the room that it's in so it's like there really is no room to do anything to
3: any, else. Oh, So it is the original
1: staircase. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's the original staircase. But, I mean, you can tell that it was built so the staircase could be the focal point. So it's like, you know, it wouldn't so really the most. just really
3: room, room to walk in, yeah. turn
1: around, hang a coat Yeah, I mean, there's there's just not a lot of functionality other than the staircase. So it's not the most efficient way to build something. But back in the 1880s, in this this area when they were building these mansions, um, you know, if they wanted something to be the focal point, so that was going to be the focal point so like i said today it's a bed and breakfast and the issue here is that overnight guests say that they think that the staircase that we talked about is haunted so late in the evening a woman that actually has the appearance of let's say like a librarian or a school Mm -hmm. teacher if you can picture that in your head with the the, um, victorian dress on her hair kind of tied tight to like a bun or something on top and and the, the tight collar and stuff, that's what she looks like, and that's what people see. She's often seen rushing up and down the stairs, which will also come into play as we read the story. Uh, they claim that she's the ghost of Annie Whipple.
3: Annie Whipple.
1: I thought that was the, the guy from the Charmin toilet paper. That was Mr. Whipple.
3: That's it. could have been his wife.
1: It could have been. Well, I
3: know. He He's like,
2: not
1: that old. I don't know. He looked like he was pretty old. Yeah. So Annie Whipple was a mysterious widow who actually arrived in Louisville around the late 1800s from New England. She just kind of showed up. Her husband up there was a a whaling captain. What's that? You know, where, like, he went out hunting for whales. Oh.
3: oh a whaling. Well, I mean, that, I guess
1: that makes sense
3: now. Yeah. <laughs> <So he> was- <laughs> I thought he had been out going, Whoa, <laughs> Whoa, like that. do
1: other think there's a big need for that. So <laughs> he was a whaling captain. He actually got lost at sea. Oh. So my very
2: captain
3: I don't,
1: I don't know how she ended up in Louisville from...
3: Do you ever wonder about that, seriously, how people— I just end said up. I did. Well, I mean, I know you did, but how people—I mean, how people just end up where they end
1: up. Yeah, she didn't just, have any family or anything here. And it's
3: in the Bar of Louisville, of all places.
1: I don't know. Remember that episode of Andy Griffith where the guy—I'm just kidding. Oh,
3: stop it. You
1: already know what I'm talking about, though. Yeah. The guy with the newspaper, who right? yeah. was in the military with the guy, and he learned—anyway, I'm not going to bore you with Andy Griffith stories. So she ends up down here, and this residence at the time was the home to the uh, Houston family. And she somehow or another got hooked up with them. I'm not really sure. And she became a live living nanny for
2: them. Oh, cool!
1: And her being the nanny there and and being elegant as she was, she actually was like an authority figure to the kids. Uh-huh. And she was it was a very highly respected position from her. She wasn't looked at as a nanny. Yeah. Say, and well, she was, but until she kind of started trying her hand at black. It oh. kind of changed things a little Whoa. bit.
3: That went to the other spectrum.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so she'd been with the Houston family a few years, and uh, they had a big outbreak of yellow fever about this time. Mm. And the family was actually, I guess most of the family was actually hit with yellow fever. So she actually helped most of them uh, get back to the health, except for there was one little girl that she was extremely close with, and she wasn't getting any better. And the doctor. I came in and looked at her, and she said, "The doctor said there was nothing more they could do for the little girl," and told the family that they should prepare for her death. Oh
3: no! They shouldn't give up so quick.
1: Well, Annie didn't give up. Good Annie, for her. Annie actually refused to believe the news, and and she stayed by the little girl's bed night and day. Even though now Annie's room was right next to hers, but mm-hmm. Annie she
3: just stayed, in stayed there, stayed with, there with the
1: little girl, and she would give her tea. It was like weak tea. I guess they wouldn't give them full-strength tea. I don't mm-hmm. know how you do I guess just watered-down tea. And uh, we put cold, cold compresses and stuff on her head just basically to make her feel as comfortable as possible. That's all she could do. I mean, she would try to do some other stuff, but, I mean, at this point, there were no other options. There was no medicine for it. There was no So all she could do is just kind of wait it out. Now, why Annie would sit there to try to, you know, kill some time, she would flip through the uh, the newspaper of the day, which I'm not sure what it is. It's Courier Journal now. I don't know what the newspaper was. Yeah, I
3: wonder what it was. Back
1: in the 1880s. But she would uh, just kind of flip through the newspaper and keep an eye on the girl at the same time. What well, she started noticing in, in the newspapers, there was a lot of stories on local mediums uh, and ads and stuff like that, mm-hmm. that that these people could reach out beyond the dead. They could help you. They could talk to loved ones. Keep in mind the 1880s was the height of the spiritualist movement. So this was when. Um, you had the Fox sisters and all around the world, like the 1880s, is when everybody actually was in on this. This was, you know, scientific as far as they were concerned, that you could actually talk to people and have seances and all that. So everybody believed then. So it wouldn't have been unusual to see these things in the papers and not just ads, but like full stories treated as if they were fact. So that's what she was seeing. She was seeing these papers and she didn't really get into all that kind of stuff. She didn't really believe in it. But. One day, this one story that she saw kind of jumped out at her. And it was about a local doctor who supposedly was known to cure bewitched people. I don't think that was, <clears throat> you know, like the show Bewitched. Right. I think oh, it was so. Yeah. So he wouldn't trying to cure uh, Tabitha or yeah. Samantha.
3: And you can't trust guy that's got two Darrens. So. Yeah,
1: that's the way I look at it. But he supposedly could cure people, bewitched people, and patients with all sorts of ailments. So when she read about all the miracles that he performed... She knew that she had to kind of try to contact him. Well, as luck would have it, the next day, she rushed down the stairs. Uh-huh. As we were talking about before. She got the horse and buggy all hitched up, and she wrote, drove to Dr. Anderson's office. She was shocked to see that the front doors of his house, which is right next to his office, was all decked out in black bunt. Black what? Black bunt. What is or that? Or bunting. Some people call it black bunting. That's, um... It's like a wool-type fabric that they would use to make flags and ribbons and stuff. And um, when you put black bunting Mm -hmm. around someone's doors and all that house, that means there was a death in the family. Oh. that's kind of what they did back then. And obviously, that was not good for her.
3: Because maybe it was him?
1: And it was. (gasps) Dr. Anderson had actually died the day before.
3: Oh, get out with that.
1: So... Annie went home dejected because she didn't get the help. So she was so desperately looking for and she was forced to just pray and and hope for the girl's health. Um, So that's kind of where she was. So she goes back into sitting with the girl's bedside as usual. She's back to reading the paper, but now when she's reading the paper, she's got a whole different mindset. Now Mm -hmm. she's thinking, well, there's some kind of hope out there. And as she's reading the paper, she notices uh, an ad that was about how many people could communicate with the dead. And even scientists were actually reporting success with communicating with the dead. Mm-hmm. So to her, this was something that's like, hey.
3: I'll give it a
1: try. Yeah, guess. because if I can communicate with the dead.
3: Oh, then she can ask, what's his face? She
1: can ask, the, uh-huh. exactly. She can ask hey, Dr. Anderson what the do. So she didn't really know how to go about this, though. So she thought, well, if I can get in touch with him, I can get the cure from the other side of the grave, which was what I wanted to accomplish to begin with. Now, she knew of a former slave by the name of Josephine, who knew about things like witchcraft and voodoo Mm -hmm. and that type of thing. Josephine was an elderly African-American woman that some people say was from Kentucky, but other people say that she was from Louisiana, which would actually make more sense Mm -hmm. with her knowledge of voodoo and everything. So... (gasps) Unclear at this time, but she ran. She goes to josephine She asked her, and josephine instructed Anne to meet her at the Witch's Tree on a night when the moon was full and it was cold outside. That's not really good timing, really, when you think about it. Could you imagine just sitting outside and it's but well, this time of year it was cold anyway. But mm-hmm. Just waiting for the full moon, I guess, and and then just hoping that somebody's out there waiting for
3: you. Yeah, that's kind of creepy.
1: But anyway, so a few nights later. And noticed that there was a full moon, and she rushed down the stairs again to the witch's tree, which was only about a block and a half, two blocks from there. She goes down to the witch's tree uh, to meet Josephine, and she explained to Josephine that she needed to contact the spirit of Dr. Anderson. Well, she then paid her and listened to the instructions that Josephine gave her, and she went home, rushed up the stairs to get started. Now, the story says that she had an episode of automatic writing. Now, we've talked about automatic writing before. Um, Alistair Crowley yeah. had the automatic writing, when he wrote the Book of the Law when mm-hmm. uh, uh, Horace was actually telling him the stuff, so he just zoned out and did it. Uh, we had Robert uh, Plant said that he did the same thing with Stereo to Heaven, that the words just came to him, and he write it, wrote it down. Yeah. We've had people claim that they wrote books and everything else that way, all from here in the spirit. And automatic writing is, uh, obviously, you go into, like, a trance-type state, and then your body is just used for whatever, and it just starts writing. you put you got to put a pen and paper in there. Uh-huh. And probably today, you could probably do it with a keyboard and a computer.
2: Yeah.
1: I don't know. Tapping out on an iPad for automatic writing. I don't know. I don't know how it works today. But that's how it worked back then. So she sat at the table. She lit one candle. She had a pen in her hand and a piece of paper. And she sprinkled this supposedly magic powder over the paper that uh, Josephine gave her. And she said a little prayer to summon the ghost of Dr. Anderson. Well, she said that this eerie, like, hush came over the room. And she didn't see anybody, but she could definitely feel some kind of a presence there. Her head slumped. She fell into a very deep uh, trance-type state, so she requested Dr. Anderson's advice on how to cure the sick girl. She just kind of let her hand dip into the, uh, the pen, into the ink, and then she just started writing. When she came, came to, uh, she noticed that there was something that looked like a medical prescription written down. She immediately got up, put it away. The next morning, she went to the nearby drugstore and got the prescription filled. She ran back home, up the stairs, and gave the little girl the potion. As minutes turned into hours, it was obvious that the cure didn't work.
2: Oh,
3: man.
1: The girl's condition was actually getting worse, and she fell into a coma. Uh, the doctor actually showed up again and said that she wouldn't make it through the night. Which, so much know, he was wrong the first time.
3: Yeah.
1: So this was a terrible shock to Annie, obviously, who tried so hard to get a cure, even dabbling in black magic. So she ran back to the table in her room, lit the candle, sprinkled that magic powder on the paper again, and summoned the uh, the presence to come back to her. Just like before, the room became kind of eerily quiet. She was in a trance, but she was more aware of what was going on now than mm-hmm. she was the last time. And her limp hand started violently gripping the pen, unlike the last time where it wrote something out. She started uh, uh, her... Instead of writing the message, her hand started like wailing back and forth. Mm-hmm. And she was clenching this pen, and she was jamming it into the top of the uh, desk, the wooden top of the desk. And that's all she could do. And She just kept stabbing it and stabbing it and stabbing it. And then eventually it kind of started towards the paper, and all it was doing was like slashing the paper and tearing it. It was tearing the paper to shreds, except for one little piece that was just big enough to write something on. And when she kind of started writing and she came through, uh, what it had said was, you fool, I am not Dr. Anderson.
3: Oh, a smart-ass ghost.
1: And so she fell to the floor. The family went and took her to the uh, to bed, put her in bed. And uh, when she came to, her whole body was in aches and pains because she now had yellow fever. Oh. So she told the family what she had done the night before. So it was basically turned out to be a deathbed confession because she didn't make it till the next morning. And he did not Aww. Before she died, though, she did actually get one little glimpse of happiness because the little girl that she had been trying to cure was actually standing beside her as she closed her eyes for the last time where she had actually had recovered. So...
2: Oh, my gosh.
3: Who
1: knows if she was um maybe it was just a delay on the cure working or some people feel like that maybe it was dabbling in the black magic it was annie basically trade her lot traded her Her life
2: for a little girl
1: without really knowing about it so was was annie's life taken in exchange for a little girl nobody's ever going to know uh, but since that day, Annie Whipple's ghost has been seen rushing up and down those stairs. Oh, my gosh. As she would have been on that mansion on that beautiful curved staircase.
3: That is great.
1: So ain't that a cool little story?
3: It is. So then the little girl made a full recovery?
1: Nothing else on it, but apparently.
3: Man. She was lucky to have that Miss Whipple.
1: Yes, she was. That was very sweet. And Mr. Whipple because they probably didn't have good toilet paper back then. <laughs>
3: <laughs> that that's that was a great story. I like that.
1: Yeah, it's a it's kind of a happy ending, I guess. Uh, yeah,
3: I mean, but you know, what's what you do? You sacrifice yourself sometimes for the people you love, and and if that's what she felt she needed to do, then good for her. And
1: maybe she's with her missing whaling husband.
3: Yeah, I mean, they're probably all whaling <laughs> somewhere together.
2: It
1: <laughs> might be the funniest thing you've said on the. <laughs>
3: <laughs> That's a good story, babe.
1: Well, it's going to lead us right into our second story, and I told you there's video. I actually got some video that I haven't posted yet of that bed and breakfast. Mm. It's just to the outside, but yeah, uh, I will post that. So if you go to our Facebook page, that will be up by the time you hear this. It'll be. You
3: know, like barf on the microphone, I can't, or I can't what?
1: Burping. <laughs> <laughs> but but <laughs> of course, we're not editing it now. But well, I'm short on time. I don't know. So yeah, so. I kind of got some video of the outside of it, but you can actually go online uh, to the inn at the park in Louisville and actually see some pictures of the inside. Mm-hmm. And I've got a couple of pictures that I stole from that website. Yeah. And I'll post that so you can see the actual staircase. But it's not a great picture of the staircase. Yeah. It's, well, that's what uh, you
3: give me you're thieving.
1: Right, right. It's not, it's not a great picture, but you can get get an idea of what it is. Um, but that story leads us into the next story, which I also have. Awesome video, of, and it's already up, so some of you have already seen it. We mentioned that she went and met Josephine at the Witch's Tree. Mm -hmm. The Witch's Tree has a cool story all of its own. And if you actually go to the Witch's Tree now, as I did yesterday, and you'll see in the video, you know, we talked about um, Marie Laveau's tomb in New Orleans, how people go and they put the X's on there Mm -hmm. and they leave little trinkets and stuff. People do the same thing to this Witch's Tree. And so if you go there, you will see little voodoo dolls hanging from it. You'll see little figurines yeah, hanging from it. I saw really a little, cool. I saw like a miniature bottle of lotion like you get from a hotel. I don't know <laughs> what what, I don't know for? why that was there. <laughs> a little clown uh, dolls and, and just the weirdest things. And then people will put up little uh, cute little signs that say like the witch is in Aww. and stuff like that. But, um, but we're going to get into the story of that. But this place is really cool. And it's such uh, right there on the corner, uh, but I'm going to tell you a little bit about the history of that tree that, that uh, Miss Whipple met uh, Mulder and Josephine at. Okay, all right, great. So in the early 1880s, Louisville had an event uh, that lasted about three or four years. Now, when I say lasted three or four years, they did it for three or four years, but it only lasted like three months at a time, and then they would do it again next year, kind of like the State Fair. This was actually, it was called the Southern Expo, but it was more or less a world's fair so people would come from all over and they would display new inventions and a matter of fact in in the 1880s this was the largest wooden structure ever built and even even to this day it was like um just basically like a fairgrounds or something Mm -hmm. where where they could stock all the stuff inside and matter of fact um thomas edison who's from louisville who created the light bulb, he first displayed the light bulb there, there was like 4,800 of them that were displayed there. So it would actually light up the whole place and nobody had ever seen the electric light bulb before.
3: So that's where that was displayed. That's awesome.
1: Now that place has since been torn down, obviously years and years and years ago. And now there's neighborhoods and everything there. And uh, that's kind of where this originally where all this witch tree and all this stuff was, that was where the Southern expo was. So, like I said, this thing, their their goal was to bring uh, attention to Louisville when they did this thing. And like I said, they were hoping to sell enough tickets to at least pay for itself. Mm-hmm. And in the first, like, I think, 88 days that it was open, they sold like three quarters of a million tickets.
3: Oh, my so, gosh. So, yeah, it was so
1: successful, they did it three or four years in a row. Okay. But then eventually, they tore it down. They built these neighborhoods. Now, close to where uh, the Southern Expo was, there were these beautiful gardens of roses and uh-huh. all kinds of other flowers and stuff. And people would walk around there that was all part of like the fairgrounds so to speak and the garden obviously is long gone uh, to make room for the uh, the homes right there's a there's one place there called uh, floral terrace Mm -hmm. you would have to see this place you can't drive to it I mean it's it's almost like picture uh, there's you park on the street but then you have to walk to your house but it's like um, just like a path and then houses on both sides, and nothing but flowers and trees. Yeah, it's beautiful. There's that. It's there's uh, Belgravia Court is the same way. There's two different places. And I don't, I don't know of any place in the United States that are like these. I wish I'd have got some video of that. But you can pull up pictures of them and, and just see. And these houses are, oh my God, they're not dead gorgeous. I mean, mm-hmm. these are two three million dollar homes, and uh, they were all built in the late eighteen hundreds. But anyway, so that's what was there. Uh, what they once they moved all the stuff, that's what they put there. Now, one of the trees at the corner of 6th and Park um, isn't really one of the beautiful trees (laughs) that we're going to talk about uh, because this is the witch's tree, and it's a sight to see nonetheless. So it's twisted. It's all gnarled up, and the locals have always known it as the witch's tree tree, because the story goes back to the uh, uh, Mm 1890s, roughly. So, back in the olden days, there was this very tall maple tree that stood there right there at the corner of Sixton Park. Now, legend has it that the tree was, uh, I guess, a favorite meeting spot for a coven of Kentucky witches, and they would actually go there and meet underneath the tree at midnight like you would expect witches to do, and they would cast spells and brew all their potions. Now, in 1889, a famous lumber merchant in town by the name of Mr. Mengel, he decided that He was going to chop the tree down. Now, the reason he was going to chop the tree down is he was actually part of the May Day Festival, um, like, planning celebration committee. And the May Day Festival back in uh, Victorian times was a very popular festival that they would do. So, what they would do is cut down a tree to make the centerpiece, which is the maypole. Have you ever heard of a maypole? Yes, actually. That's what that is. So, what they would do is they you need a very tall, straight tree, Mm -hmm. and then you would uh cut it down and you would take all the bark and everything off and then you would decorate it with, um, you know, I guess like garlands and stuff like that just to make it look good. And
3: that sounds pretty though.
1: To use, they wanted to use the witch tree to cut down for this and, uh, uses the maypole and the witches found out about it and they were none too happy.
3: Oh, I was going to say, I wouldn't think they would like that too much.
1: Yeah, so they actually warned the, warned the committee that not to take their tree, and they even left a note pinned to the tree on parchment, which is kind of funny because parchment is, like, made of bark. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> here's, here's what it said. It said, This tree shall stand and not be cut. We fed her with our laughter. Our leafy haven you'll not cut or pay for ever after. But if you, wooden king, prevail, and Mother Maple dies, the force of fate shall strike this town, and right between the eyes. If our tree falls, yes, fate will call, to teach you, heartless dunce, that all man's work can disappear. Beware, eleventh month.
2: Ooh.
1: That sounds pretty scary. It does
3: sound. They didn't rhyme the whole way through, though. just like, It you know.
1: rhymes pretty well. Mm, so... Not pressed. Obviously, they didn't take the witches very serious, and they cut down the maple tree.
3: <laughs> Did I not listen?
1: <laughs> a terrible shriek could be heard heard echoing all through the neighborhood uh, as soon as the tree hit the ground, and the witches kind of fled from there. Now, west of town, they actually found them a new tree in a new dark forest that they started doing there. But before leaving... They decided that they were going to uh,
3: do what they said.
1: Well, that no, they said they were going to make sure that they were going to exact their uh revenge. So the May Day celebrations actually were held, and uh, wood from the maypole was actually used to burn in a big bonfire that was uh, kind of the history and tradition. And everyone forgot all about the witches. The end,
3: uh, oh, okay, not till November got there
1: until 11 months later.
3: Oh, 11 months,
1: yeah, because it said the eleventh, 11th 11 month, but. Not the 11th of November, 11th months
2: later. Oh, I
1: got you. 11 months later, that's when the coven got their revenge in the form of a deadly tornado on March twenty eighth, 1890.
3: Oh, no. Wipe it out the town.
1: It's said that the witches brewed up the tornado in their new forest, and they sent it along Maple Street. Kind of ironic when you think about it. Yeah. Maple Street. (laughs) And into downtown Louisville. It flattened more than half the city.
2: Oh, geez.
1: Several people were killed. Uh, and a number of them were members of the May Day celebration committee. Uh, among the dead were two members of Mr. Mingles' family. Eyewitnesses reported that after hitting downtown, the twister kind of took a strange right-hand turn, and it roared south along Sixth Street, which is now Old Louisville. And as it passed past right, as it got right past the gardens where the tree trunk was, where mm-hmm. they did it. They said a bolt of lightning shot out of the tornado and struck the tree trunk. And that tree trunk, a new tree kind of Grew. branched out of it. It just, like, instantly just kind of magically appeared from it. So there was, like, a real big explosion and everything, and then it just magically sprung out of the
2: oh, uh,
1: the stump of where that was and to kind of replace the one that the witches took, which... It's got that big gnarly trunk, which I said it's hard to explain. Mm-hmm. You have to just kind of see it. It's got that gnarly trunk and thin, bony branches. It's actually much more of a witch-type tree. Oh, I was going to say, expect, yeah. I
3: think it would Than you know, what more... the old
1: maple was. Yeah. And
3: so even what to a this, bunch of heifers.
1: But even to this day, local witches actually come back to that neighborhood and still brew potions and cash spells and stuff. Wait, there's witches witchy- still? Yes, babe.
3: They come back there and they do the lotions?
1: I don't know that they do lotions. Oh mean potions? Yeah, they do potions. I don't know if they do lotions. But there was that little bottle of lotions.
3: I know. We should go visit that tree.
1: I went yesterday. Well I
3: wanna go, I mean
1: <laughs> I took video. It's on the it's on the I Facebook page. I know, but
3: page. I would like to see it in person.
1: So once again, video on the Facebook page if you that, want to. Take it. I'm
3: glad you did that. That was crazy.
1: That's what I thought.
3: That too. is a good story. Yeah, it is I cannot is. believe it grew in like another tree.
1: It's it's really cool to see you know obviously whether that happened or not but this tree definitely is different than any, any tree in the air. Uh, yeah, there's the nothing area. even close to
3: <gasps> it. It happened. It really happened.
1: I'm sure it did. Man. Are
2: you a good witch What a bad witch?
1: Ooh. I thought we'd take a second, real quick, in between stories to uh, discuss the iTunes reviews oh, this week. Oh yes,
3: thank you.
1: Uh, we had one from RDA Ruben EPT Books by Google. Sarah Nay, Forensics Lex, and that's what we had this week. We had four.
3: Well, thank you, guys. Uh, We appreciate your iTunes. Um, It would be great if we could have more because we get so excited to see um, reviews and things like that. So to know where we need to improve or whatever, or what you guys, you know, think about the
1: show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just like to see it because that's how we get more listeners.
3: He said, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: So uh yeah, if you guys can can go on iTunes and leave reviews and if you don't have Apple, you can go on from a desktop or a laptop and get an iTunes account, even if you uh like I said, don't have an iPhone or an iPad. Yeah, but that really does help us more than anything. So yeah, like I said, we we like any type of support you guys give us. Some of you guys donate to our Patreon. Oh, we my greatly gosh. We appreciate, appreciate that. it. All so much. And then some of you leave us reviews and we appreciate that just as much. Oh we do. Um, so, yeah, if any, if you can leave a review, that's the cheapest way to support the show because it helps us move up in the rankings, which means more people find us. Uh, I can't tell you how many people said, oh, we just happened to look at the top charts on iTunes, and we saw you there, so we thought we'd give you a try. Oh, great. And that's how you get to the top, uh, the iTunes top charts is by these fantastic subscribers reviews. So
3: Great googly-boogly. Yeah.
1: Anytime you can tell friends about the show. Yeah,
3: tell everybody.
1: Yeah, tell everybody. That's good. Tell, that's what we need. Tell
3: a friend. Phone and, a friend. And just
1: for the record, you guys, the last three weeks, we've had record-breaking weeks, each each of the last three weeks, oh more lessons gosh. than we've ever had. And that's all because you guys are sharing with
3: your yes, friends. Yes, thank you, guys. It's so exciting for us. Okay. Love it. Love you guys. All
1: right, a couple more stories. This one um, is going to – there's a couple. of. Uh, I shot a video of St. James Court. Now, a lot of you in the area will definitely know St. Oh, James yeah. Court. Oh, yeah. There is a world famous, and I say world famous, and I'm not exaggerating, a world famous art fair called the St. James Art Fair that happens every year in Louisville, and it happens right here in St. James Court.
3: It's Uh, right around Derby time, I think, right? I can't remember. I think it's like like before Derby, but it is, I mean, if you ever get a chance to go to this place, it's amazing, and I didn't mean to interrupt you. So go ahead, Ben. No,
1: that's fine. But one of the videos I shot, I actually just kind of rolled around the court and took pictures. Because uh, there are so many haunted places right here in this court. And the next story we're going to tell you about is in that court. So it's going to involve a fountain out there that I took a picture of. A what? Fountain. You know fountain? <laughs> fountain.
3: I think you're I think you going through um, menopause. menopause because your voice is cracking and I know what, I'm going sitting, up I'm and getting
1: getting
3: down. I'm getting sick again. No, you're not. I am. That's
1: what happens when it's 8 degrees and you spend half your time outside.
3: Oh, I'm sorry, honey. I didn't know.
1: So anyways.
3: Oh. But yeah, we have this art fair and
1: uh, we're done with the art fair. We talked about it already.
3: I know, but I just want to say that people bring all their the stuff that they do, paint, make. It man, this stuff is They know how an
1: art fair works.
3: Okay. <laughs> yeah. All right, so go
1: ahead. Our art fair ain't you no know, different than anybody else's, they all bring their art. Oh,
3: yeah, whatever. <laughs> or they might bring a man named Art. You don't
1: know. But anyway, in this in this area there's a house called the Pink Palace. Which Steve Asher is actually going to come on and tell us about here in a little bit. Uh, right around the corner is the fountain that is going to be involved in the story we're going to tell you, and then there's a place called the Flats, uh, the Saint James Flats, which is what this next story is all about. And the gentleman who built it, his house that he he uh, had is actually down on the corner that's currently a museum, and all that is in this, all of those places are in this little video I shot that lasts just a couple of minutes. So. Uh, I think you'll enjoy seeing some of these houses. The architecture here is fantastic. It's the oldest Victorian neighborhood in the United States. No way. Really cool. So anyway, St. James Court is full of beautiful houses and a fountain. And that's the uh, center of the St. James Archer, as we discussed. It's also famous for the Ice Boy. Have you ever heard of the Ice Boy? I have not
3: heard of the Ice Boy. It's
1: amazing how many people live in Louisville that actually haven't heard some of these stories. But in 1897, a man by the name of Theophilus Conrad wanted to build uh, an apartment building and he wanted to name them the St. James Flats. Now, the problem with that is St. James Court was the first area of Louisville. It was for about a 20 year stretch, was the most prestigious area. We're talking multi million dollar mansions equivalent today. Oh, multi million dollar mansion. This was where the wealthiest of wealthy lived in Louisville. And uh, actually, uh, Theophilus Conrad was an immigrant who came over here and he earned uh, quite a bit of money uh doing everything from i think he started with a tannery and a couple other things but he became very wealthy what's a tannery i don't know i think it's i have no idea i'm not even gonna lie oh i have no idea oh,
2: well, all right.
1: i think tannery i'm thinking like um animal skins Ooh. and stuff like that but i could be completely wrong on that Okay. So I'm sure somebody will write and tell us. So that would be nice That's your That's your homework that. for today. After <laughs> sure we we'll get 600 emails, telling us what a tannery is. Yeah, I'd
3: be glad to know.
1: But anyway, so he, uh, he thought that it would be cool to build this apartment complex. Well, even apparently in the 1890s, people felt the same way about prestigious neighborhoods and not wanting apartments next to them.
2: Mm.
1: Especially a six-story apartment building because it would kind of eclipse their mansions. Yeah. And that's not really what they were trying to mm-hmm. do. So they took him to court. He won. The apartment guy won? Yeah, he won. So they were able to build it. And that's what he did. He built his six-story St. James Flats. Bam. Today, though, the St. James Flats is not six stories. It's three stories. Oh. And that's because there was a... Sharp because
3: of old age.
1: Yeah, that's what it was. Sharp because of (laughs) old age. Which, in one of the pictures I showed, you, I was telling you about uh, Theophilus Conrad. Um, I should probably do a story on this sometime in the future. Maybe I will. But the... um, Conrad Caldwell house. Cause after Conrad moved out, a family named Cald- Cal- uh, Caldwell moved in mm-hmm. and uh, try saying that three times, Conrad Caldwell, <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. but
1: the family by the name of Caldwell moved in. They lived there for like 40 years, mm-hmm. made a bunch of changes and stuff. And now it's a museum, but you'll see, I stopped and took a good long picture of that in the video. Cause it's an awesome structure, but that's where he lived. And he built these uh, just catty corner from us where he built these apartments. Like I said, it's only three stories now because there was a par- uh, apartment fire February 4th, 1912, that engulfed the whole structure. It was a huge fire, and people were trapped on the upper floors. Oh, man. Yeah.
3: Did it affect the houses next to them, I
2: guess,
1: then? I didn't say anything about that, but I'm... I uh, it did. I'm sure it did. Yeah, I'm sure it probably probably did. I would think so. But fortunately, everybody got out of the fire.
2: Oh, good. good.
3: Um, somewhat. Wait.
1: So it's assumed that um, a disgusted neighbor probably started the fire. And the next day, several people were actually treated to a spectacular sight. I'm trying to find a picture of this, but it's really hard to find. Uh, All of the water that was sprayed on this thing Mm -hmm. had frozen solid, and it was like a giant dirty crystal rising up from the streets of St. James Court. Because, I mean, it was like, you yeah, there was still soot and all that stuff, but it was like a, like if you ever been to a cave, a stalactite or a stalactite, yeah. that's what it looked like because of all the, uh, uh, water freezing, but you still had the soot and the dirt oh, and all gosh. that, but it was supposed to be a sight like nothing. And I've seen one picture of it, but I, I saw it in a video, so I mm-hmm. wouldn't be able to actually get it. I'm going to try to find a picture, but it's really cool. But with the first snowfall came reports of a phantom boy. They call this gentleman the Ice Boy. So what would happen is late at night, a spectral of a, of a little boy uh, with tattered clothes on could actually see be seen running around the fountain. And that fountain is right across from uh, the, uh, what do you call it, the uh, apartments. But... St. James, like I said, when you see the video, it'll make more sense. So So the
3: the fountain's still there?
1: Yeah, the fountain's still there. Oh. Uh, But the fountain is, like, in the middle of this court. Mm Mm-hmm. So if you can just kind of picture that. Yeah, I
2: can see it.
1: Yeah. It's a picture of the beginning of Married with Children.
2: Yeah, exactly. But
1: the fountain is right there. So, you know, it's a giant circle on this place, and the uh, the fountain is right dead across from the uh, apartments. And so he would be running around out there with his dirty and, and raggedy clothes. They said that you could actually see that he had streaks of uh, uh, dirt and soot on his face. Aw. Poor baby. Yeah. So he would actually be sometimes seen in the building, the apartment building itself. And the owner decided that when he rebuilt that he was not going to replace the top section. Yeah. He was just going to replace the bottom section. So that's why it's only three floors now.
3: But wait, why did not anybody know about the little boy? I'm getting said, to that.
1: Oh, sorry. Yeah, you know, there's always a point okay. I get to, sorry.
3: Right?
2: <laughs>
1: so The neighbors in the end actually got what they wanted because now it's a lower three-story building that didn't overshadow their beautiful mansions. And uh, instead of bragging though know about this, and they felt like that they, you know, got away with, you know, something and, and they were just happy that nobody died in the fire. But that's when another rumor kind of started. And the, the story is that someone actually did perish in that building, but nobody was going to talk about it. Nobody in that neighborhood anyway, because this was the prestigious St. James neighborhood. So what happened is it's believed that the ghost that actually wanders the area is um, a little boy from uh, down the street. There's a, a neighborhood called Cabbage Patch. And Cabbage Patch is uh, was a very poor neighborhood even though it was really close to this really rich neighborhood this little boy was trying to um, make extra money for his family so he worked for a local grocery store doing deliveries Mm -hmm. and he was making a delivery this night on the fifth floor it was freezing cold obviously freezing enough for that water in the fire department to freeze like it did that shows you how cold it was outside and he makes a delivery up there and to try to warm up he kind of lingered in the hallways up on the fifth floor and when the fire broke out he didn't get out
3: oh my gosh okay go ahead well
1: on the night of the fire like i said he got trapped in there and um the whole point of it is they found him when they went in when they went in after the fact the next day they went in he was up in the corner just kind of huddled up Mm -hmm. uh, in in the corner and he had died of asphyxiation from the fire, and because of the boy was poor, it never even got mentioned. It didn't get mentioned in the paper. It wasn't reported. You know, his family knows what happened. I was
3: going to say, what happened to his family? Yeah, I mean, well, why I mean, didn't he, they kick up a fuss
1: about this? Well, I'm sure they did, But in the 1880s, it just wasn't the same as what it is today. You didn't have social media. That's heartbreaking. Media and, the and
3: little
1: uh, thing. So, you know, like I said, it was. Just the situation. So they think now what happens is, you know, he only shows up on cold nights when there's frost or snow on the ground. Mm-hmm. And they think, that's first of all, that's why he got the name the Ice Boy. It's not from anything other than the fact that he shows up only on icy cold yeah. nights. And, uh, but they think that the whole point of him showing up is to just get some kind of recognition oh. of his death.
3: Yes, of Since course
1: since it was never actually mentioned before. Yeah,
3: that's that's sickening, honestly.
1: So it is. And that's the story. But, you know, it's it's like I said, and we talk about this with Steve Asher a little bit later, but that just goes to show, you know, in certain environments, if you didn't have money, especially back um. then, you weren't looked at as, you know. I mean, think about, like, like I said, Steve mentioned this in the part we talk about, but even back in the mental institutions, back in the 1800s and back in the, you know, People, you know, the TV hospital at Waverly, people weren't looked at as people. I mean, if you were in there, you were, you know, fair game for experimental surgeries and all that stuff just because they didn't look at you as people back then. And and at this point, if you were poor, you weren't looked at as a person. You well,
3: that's, that's you, Or at least sad. wasn't
1: given, at least given the same respect yeah. as if you had money. Yeah,
3: Those people suck.
1: All right. So here's our last story we have tonight before we listen to Steve. Tell us about... Uh, the pink palace. This is a sad story. It doesn't have a happy ending.
3: Jesus Pete.
1: And this is the only one that I couldn't get video of because to be honest with you, I didn't have an exact address, mm-hmm. but I know it's on South Sixth street of, of Louisville. And the story is, is two sisters, Susan Shura and Linda Gregory. They bought a queen in house on South Sixth street several years ago. Okay. And they decided they were going to do some rehab on it and get it back to its former glory. Uh, it was in really rough shape when they bought it, but today it actually is beautiful, mm-hmm. and they've done all the work on it, you know, several years later they took, and these homes are very expensive to do upkeep on, mm-hmm. you know, these Victorian homes, um, but it's a wooden house. It's a really soft blue uh, with white shingles, and it's got one of those turrets on the outside. You know what the turret is?
3: Um, No.
1: You know, like the rounded, like you would see on a castle, the little rounded part of the house that have the, you know, the windows in it. Oh, that, yeah. That, that's what a oh, tour it is. Okay. So these, yeah, I didn't know but there's I a lot of those Victorian houses that have that. It, that's what makes a castle look like a castle more. Than yeah. Less, so it's usually those things. Okay. Um, inside, it's got hardwood floors. It's got brass lighting fixtures. It's got awesome fireplaces that have hand-carved hand wooden mantles. Ooh, sounds beautiful. Yeah. And, oh, and a... Uh, a girl in a white dress that shows up as a ghost. It's got oh, that on the inside.
3: It's got that too. <laughs> a little extra so,
1: something, something. So when, when Susan actually started restoring the house, she knew something was up right off the bat. She said that things would disappear and they would turn up in different parts of the house. Uh, she said that um, she would actually turn the radio off and the radio would turn itself back on. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she would have that problem. She would have strange creaks and groans that were always at the bottom of the steps down by the door. Hmm. And she said that she would hear footsteps and skipping across the floor as if it was a little girl. At sunset, she started even having more weird things happen. She would get loud knocks at the door, uh, but when she would rush to go answer it, there was never anybody there. And this would happen almost nightly. So one day, she actually made an interesting discovery. She was kind of cleaning one of the fireplace mantles, and as she's up on a chair cleaning it, she notices there's like a panel. And she moves the panel out, and there's actually a little hidden space, and in that hidden space is a black and white picture of a little girl about seven, eight, nine years old, and she's in a, just a little simple white dress like you would see yeah. in the 1900s. Well, she decided that she's going to get back to cleaning, so she laid it up on the mantle. She's the only one here, okay? And as she lays it back on the mantle. She wakes up the next morning, she goes downstairs, and she just happens to notice that that picture is not there.
3: Hmm. She
1: has no clue where it is, never turned back up. Like, ever? Ever. And uh, so that night, she actually heard, at sunset, three loud knocks on the door. And she runs down and opens the door. Nobody's there. But she heard footsteps, like, run past her. And then she said she turned around, and at the landing of the steps, there was a little girl in a white dress. Not sure if it was the same one she saw, but it mm-hmm. pretty close. And she said just as quick as she saw the little girl, she was gone, disappeared. And uh, she decided that she'd like to be able to look into it. And so she started trying to do some research, but she really wouldn't coming up with anything. Well, what she did find out, though, is there was a knock on the door, and... It was an older lady, like in her nineties, and she said that she actually lived there as a little girl with her parents. Her parents owned that
2: house, mm-hmm.
1: so Susan invited her in because she wanted to learn the stories. Yeah, about this. Now, keep in mind, between the time that she opened the door and had this uh, image of this little girl, and the time that she met this older woman, she, uh, her, and several other people had seen this little girl. in in the house it's like she all of a sudden started showing up now yeah once her picture was found so this woman comes in and she's she invites her in for coffee they sit and talk about you know the house in general this is her one shot to really find out stuff and the older lady actually told her that uh a bunch of stories and she's listening kindly of but then one story kind of made her just sit up and, and really pay attention she said that during the uh great depression her mother and father fell on hard times like a lot of people and they uh had to take in some boarders Mm
2: -hmm. to try to
1: make ends meet. And she said one lady actually was staying at the room right at the top of the stairs, the bedroom. Mm -hmm. And she said she had a daughter that was about seven or eight years old Mm -hmm. and she was, um, had behavioral problems. Now I don't know about having behavioral problems if she just was like ADHD or if she was like some mental disabilities as well, but She said that she was so much to the point that her mom pretty much had to keep the door locked up there and keep the girl, you know, to keep her from just causing problems. And uh, so one day there was a knock at the door and the family who owned the home, this girl's family, was actually out back. So the woman upstairs that has the little girl, she opens the door to go down there and see who's at the door. Well, she didn't shut her door behind her. She goes downstairs. She opens the door. And when she did, her little girl ran down the steps went straight out into the street and got hit by a car and died.
2: Oh, whoa.
1: And that is the uh, the little girl.
3: Oh, my gosh.
1: That they that they see
3: now. That She did not have a good life. Always locked up, and then that happened to her. Right. Oh, that's terrible.
1: Well, I told you they had a sad ending. I don't know where you thought you were going to get out. Well,
3: I don't know. the
1: but apparently she loves to still be in that place. And
3: Yeah, she likes the place when she comes back. Well, yeah. good for her. I would haunt the hell out of that woman. I would. I'd haunt her ass. Well,
1: how's it her fault?
3: Well, it's apparently, ra-
1: apparently she needed to be locked in all the time. The one time she didn't lock the door behind her, she ran right out in the street and got hit by a car.
3: Well, but she do not know.
1: Still. She was just she... glad
3: to be out of there.
1: <laughs> well, no? we don't know the whole story. No. Anyways. Uh, let's take a quick second before we bring Steve on and tell us about the pink palace and his, his book he's got coming out. Let's talk about um, our Patreon for this week. We've had a lot of you guys sign up for Patreon. Yeah, absolutely. We absolutely love it. And we, we, uh, like I said, we keep trying to put out uh, great episodes on Patreon. Not that we don't put out great episodes for the free show, but we feel like that, that you guys, if you're willing to fork out money for us, We're going to do our best to keep putting cool shows out. I put a little mini episode out today uh, that was basically a listener story that I read. And then, uh, like I said, we got the uh, listener stories episode that we just put out on January 1st. It was two hours long. Oh, that shit! I
3: was rolling
1: on. And we had Justin Rimmel on there from Mysterious Circumstances, Chris Cogswell from uh, uh, Mad Scientist Podcast. And I'll tell you where I lost my train of thought. You know, sometimes eerie stuff happens on this show that we can't really explain. We've had a TV come on while we've been in here. Twice, I think. Yeah, we've had um, Tessa, when she was on our show, we had half of her show just didn't record. And it was a a part where she was talking about her friend that had passed away and was sending her messages. And when I'd asked her, hey, is this something you, you, you can talk about? And she said yes, but that none of that part recorded. Even though it it, <laughs> it 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 recorded the whole time we were sitting here watching, I can see what's recording right now. Yeah, and it recorded, but for some reason it wasn't there when we went to play it. Yeah, back. that was
3: really bizarre. so
1: that was that was cool. But Justin Rimmel, he comes on, and Justin's a, a a nutcase anyway. Love the guy to death, but he's telling us his story, and for whatever reason, we were we were using this program that records my part and it records his part and puts it all together. So I had his part, but for some reason my part didn't record. First time we've ever had that happen. I contact the app that we use and they said, hey, I've got Justin's part. I can send that to you. And I was like, okay, I'll re-record my part and edit it back in. So we did that. Me and Tracy sat down here and we we redid this whole thing and we would splice Justin's parts in We played it back. It played fine. When it came time to do the show and put it in the show, it was there and it was blank. We played it back and it was nothing but blank. I had to redo the whole thing again. So I've never had so much trouble with one certain recording, but something was almost like it didn't want us to put that thing out there. There's no reason in the world we would record it, listen it back, and then two days later, it's blank. (laughs) I mean, it's not like a... Cassette tape. Yeah. Where these things happen. So, yeah, it was very weird. bizarre. But, but that was a really cool show. And it's got, like I said, it's got a lot of awesome stories. we got a, a young lady that's, uh, her family runs a funeral service that told a story. And uh, a young lady from New Zealand that was reading her kids' bedtime stories. But I cut that out so you don't have to hear that. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, yeah, it was, it was an awesome episode. So those, we do that the first of every month. And then we do a regular story where we mix true crime. So if you like true crime, we do uh, a lot of. True crime, but not really the like the murders and stuff. It's more the creepy true crime,
2: mm-hmm. like the
1: H.H. H. Holmes, Jack the Ripper type stuff. Um, but anyway, so we do all that. If you guys would like to be a Patreon supporter and get a bunch of extra episodes for minimal amounts of money, just go to our um, hillbillyhorrorstories.com, and we've got a link right there to it on the Patreon page. So what we're going to do now is tell you who signed up recently because we greatly appreciate it. We had Tim Mays, Leslie Tyler. Quinn Marie Secor, Becky Faulkner, Kimberly Kimberly Schlenke, Tara Vernon, and Ann Van Wenzel. Wow.
3: Probably Wenzel,
1: Ann Van Wenzel. Thank all of you guys so much. Thank you all. Thank you
3: so much.
1: So now let's uh, listen to Steve real quick. I think you're going to kick out of this. Steve's a talker, and he's really good at what he does. It's like two friends talking whenever he comes on, and uh, I really enjoyed it, and I hope you will, too. All right, I'm joined by Steve Asher. Steve's actually been on the show before Uh, we had him on because uh, he was the author of The Hauntings of the Kentucky State Penitentiary. And he actually has a new book out now, uh, sticking with the Kentucky theme uh, of a place in Hopkinsville. And uh, he's working on another book that ties right into what we're doing today. So I thought it would be a great opportunity to uh, talk about what our show is and give Steve a chance to tell you about what's he's got going on in his line of books steve welcome to the show
0: hey i appreciate you having me back on but it's a it's a pleasure
1: oh it's uh, it's my pleasure because uh i enjoy talking to you i love the love the first book haven't had a chance to read the second book yet obviously but that thing has just recently been released correct
0: Yes, sir. Yeah, like I said, it's it's out on pre-order. It won't actually be like on bookshelves. I mean, people can order it now, obviously, and and I believe they can go ahead and order the e-books and things like that, and maybe get it a little bit before February. But I believe it's February 26th that the hauntings uh, of the Western Lunatic Asylum will be out. Uh, it's the it's the second part of what was going to be a trilogy, possibly a four-part, uh, depending on what I decide to do. And uh, and uh, yeah, like I said, it's through Simon and Schuster. Or you can go to my page, Steve E Asher, all lowercase and together, dot com, and find links to all that and other various things about appearances and whatnot, and shirts and stuff that I've got made for you know book-related things, my artwork, and the different little oddball things I'm I'm interested in.
1: Now, Steve. Now, I know the first book you wrote, The Hauntings of the Kentucky State Penitentiary, you actually worked there for a little bit. Now, with the second book, did you spend time at the Lunatic Asylum?
0: Well, you know, a lot of people think I probably should have, but no. Um, I've obviously been by there, uh, talked to a lot of staff. I've done as much photography outside there as I can. That's a a really, really uh, more even more tightly uh, secured place than than the penitentiary is, because a lot of that is... Open ground at the penitentiary, and you can be up on a hillside and see right down and see inmates walking around and officers doing their jobs. Where so much of the hospital is internalized, and so uh, most of what I got, if I had any interiors, it was from people donating pictures of, you know, staircases with what appears to be a, a woman in a gray shawl walking down it and things like that. Um, so I had to also be very mindful of all the uh, HIPAA laws and and all that cuz obviously if if I had family members, you know, inside there, I would not want them to be made part of a, a book or a show or anything thing like that especially without any sort of um discussion with uh, with them. But uh yeah, what I tried to do on the second one, it it's a little bit longer than the first one. It's about 300 and something pages and uh, uh I have not seen the I've not gotten my personal copy, so I do not know if they included some of the photos that I sent, which were pretty cool. I'm hoping they did, um, which included the the Gray Lady of Western State. It should include what they have, the Orphan Out uh, Overlook, which was all right. Let me explain the, what the time this building was built it was around the same time as the penitentiary. It was in that great Southern, you know, build of you know 1880s, and uh, basically they were just trying to. Handle the over, overflow from the local poorhouse and the orphanage and all this, and, and a lot of them just ended up in what was the Western Lunatic Asylum. It's now known as the Hopkinsville uh, or the, uh, the the I'm sorry, Western State Hospital. I'll get it right. Western State Hospital, and it's in Hopkinsville, Kentucky. And um, just that the, the lunatic asylum name was just you know indicative of the time. Right. You know uh, they had like the I think in Louisville they I think they had the home for the feeble minded and you know those like Arkham Asylums sounding super spooky names, super un p c names, but that's just how it was but um but yeah i, I way I went with that book and and now and I'll not go too far into that, obviously because we're talking about uh louisville um it it touched me more personally for the fact that we do have special needs children that we adopted, and there were some really just horrifically sad stories in there, um, very short violent uh you know lives, very dismal. Heart wrenching, uh, just desolate lives, you know, spent wasting away inside of there. And even at the time when it was still an asylum, you know, there were a lot of, uh, how do I say it? By our standards, there were archaic and brutal medical practices. You know, uh, obviously, they're not really doing lobotomies anymore. They're obviously not doing, you know, uh, a, a lot of the sort of You know, electroshock therapy, at least like they were doing then, they may do something in extreme cases, and they may do like hydro or cool water baths, but they don't give you ice baths or or burning hot water baths or all that kind of stuff, uh, binding you and all that stuff. Well, a lot of that stuff was common practice because, well, it was that time. And so you had a lot of people that would accidentally die from these because these were – Modern tech, you know, techniques that they were learning on the fly. They were and you know, the thing is, well, inmates and mental patients—they didn't mean anything. So, unfortunately, a lot of times they uh, got really, really raw deals on their medical treatment and how they were housed and all that. But, so yeah, um, the the thing was, like I said, with with that book, it's super. It's is super creepy, and on certain levels, it's even more creepy than the first one, for the fact that you know that. Most of these people really didn't do anything willingly to get in there. I mean, you had a few people that were criminally insane in there, and that's what's the sad thing It's like just like in the early penal colonies and things you would have really hardened criminals. you would have disenfranchised poor you would have very young you know if not orphans, maybe some kid that stole a loaf of bread to try to feed his sister and his little you know his mom or whatever and uh all lumped in together in the mix and it was just a a really bad hierarchy to be stuck in the middle of if you were on that bottom rung
1: you know it's to, to to lead us into what fits in with our story you know one of the stories that that we did earlier in the show was on the ice boy of uh saint james court and it fits into kind of what you just described i mean back in the 1880s when this place was up and up and running it was a very prestigious neighborhood. And then, you know, down the road was the Cabbage Patch neighborhood, which was very poor. And, and uh, one of the little boys was trying to make some extra money. He was, you know, in a nutshell, was out trying to deliver groceries. He got caught in a building that burnt down. And his death was never reported because he, he wasn't one of the rich family. So it just didn't matter to anybody there. And uh, so they just pretended nobody died in the fire that was. Uh, probably purposely set there and the reality of it was there was a a young boy killed there but he wasn't important enough to mention back in those days because he didn't have money so it's sad that the thought process back in those
0: days well sure and and that's uh, again it's that time of you know children were seen and not heard and um you know they were a means to an end they were you know okay we're having a baby good you know a couple years i'll have me a new you know plow hand i'll have me a new you know whatever um it's it's not a good thing, but it it is what it is, and, and again, it's time it's time uh, sensitive in regards to the era you're looking at. Um, yeah, that seems like like you said, especially in early Louisville um, with all the growth. But like you said, it, in the middle of that growth, you did still have that, that stark um, difference, you know, that dichotomy of the ultra wealthy and the ultra poor, and it was like almost like a caste system where they may pass each other on at certain times on the street, but they did not know each other. They, they were from two different worlds. It was like a ghost passing through, and uh, they didn't, you know, they didn't see each other for the most part. And uh, it's really sad, you know, because like I said, uh, I hate to hear about you know children being hurt and stuff like that. It's always been my uh, kind of like my where it really wounds my heart, and uh, and it and it says something too about the tenacity of 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 a human spirit that for whatever reason feels compelled to, to hang on and uh, it keeps being seen and, and keeps seemingly making contact with people um, almost like it maybe it just doesn't realize what's happened.
1: Well that's going to lead us right into uh, one of the main reasons I brought you on tonight obviously St. James uh, Court is, is prominent in the stories that we told tonight and I purposely left out one of the biggies. Because your newest project, as you're always busy, is uh, you've already started working on a new project that is banked, based on the Pink Palace. And uh, I thought this would be a great opportunity to, have, to bring somebody on who's done so much research on that particular property and have you tell us a little bit about the history and the paranormal side rather than me go on about it since you, uh, you're the expert here. So I thought I'd turn the microphone over to you for a few minutes and talk about the Pink Palace.
0: Well, I don't, I don't know about the expert, but I, it definitely is an interest of mine. Um, well, I'll give you like a quick kind of background on, on the Pink Palace. Uh, initially, it wasn't even pink. Um, the, the building, had, which was built in 1891, it originally served as a gentleman's club. Um, not so much – well, I mean it depends on who you talk to. Some people says, well, there wasn't really casinos there or any kind of uh, more – decadent stuff you know it was more like you know old rich guys smoking cigars and you know talking about their latest caribou hunt in africa or something you know but you know you could ask other people and they said no there were rooms they, they called them large closets up on the uh, second floor that served as small bedrooms and some people would say oh well that was for if the gentleman imbibed too much you know and they wanted to kind of sleep you know as opposed to taking a carriage home, you know, carriage ride home, inebriated or something, they just crashed there. But, you know, you know how it is, you know, there's a lot of money going on, wealthy men. They like to entertain. And, you know, so, you know, you you get those to the mind can wonder. Um, But in time, uh, what ended up happening was a group called the Woman's Christian Temperance Union took over the the home after. I believe there was maybe one or two owners. There's been just a liturgy of umpteen uh, people that's owned it off and on. And once the uh, temperance union took over, the way I understand it, they painted the whole place pink to separate it from its supposedly dastardly history. And uh, from that time on, you know, there's been different families there and different people's reported uh, everything from. Uh, There was a ghost that they call Avery. There was a Mr. Avery that had lived there in the early times. I'm not sure if this is at the time of the Gentleman's Club or sometime afterwards, but he's been reportedly seen around the grounds in the the buildings. Um, Apparently, he was an avid reader, and sometimes he would be seen in one of the little torrent rooms. Um, The way the building is set up, it's got a lot of kind of French chateau – elements to it uh it's 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 a really beautiful building uh when it's got the torrents and all that anyway the rounded rooms some of them served as libraries and sometimes they would hear the doors open you know and close and the reading chair scoot you know up toward where the light was best coming in from whatever spot in the room it was so at different times of the day you know they may go in there and the chairs here the next day they move in the chairs over here and no no one's touched it but one of the things that i thought was so interesting uh as you did mention i am working on a story which is two or three books ahead i've I've already got two or three in the hopper before this will ever be out so it's still a book in progress does touch on a character named Aleister crowley or crowley however you know like you said in english in english countries probably would say crowley but i'll say crowley um most people know of crowley or crowley through, you know, different things, his connections to Freemasonry, his connections to uh, the, the, Go- the Golden Dawn, which is sort of a mystical spiritualist movement, which, as I understand, there's still a, if not, if not thriving, at least functioning um, chapter in Louisville today. And which surprised me, you know, I, I, upon doing the research, you know, it, which would make sense uh, because it was like, well, he apparently would come there, I'm assuming at the time of the Gentleman's Club. And would, you know, hang out and whatever, but would use some of the upper rooms for ritual work, uh, be it spell casting, communicating with, you know, uh, uh, spirit guides and things like that, because he wrote a whole lot of different, you know, books and things. But he was also a painter, he was also a composer, he also, you know, performed in, in plays and all this other stuff. And later, many years later, it was said that he was a spy he was sort of a double spy for Britain against Hitler, so at one time he was known as the most evil man in the world. Uh, I think it's because a lot of it he was very con- considered very decadent to the Victorian era. I'm sure most of us we be considered very decadent to the victorian era and uh so that was just a label he had but in hindsight, you had to look at some of the positives too so am i am I saying that's the guy I want to you know babysit my kids probably not but <laughs> Uh, he did seem to serve a purpose more than just being a degenerate and a libertine and a this and that. But uh, the things that I thought was really neat was the fact that he did a come to Louisville because I know he'd had like several houses, you know, in Scotland that he did different sort of uh, mystical work in, uh, including, I believe, in Lexington in Kentucky. But he really liked Louisville because, you know, especially that part of. Uh, you know, around Sixth Street, Fourth Street in that area. You know, there was a lot of uh, very prominent people, and but he also liked to go out to the clubs and to the pubs and to the this and that, and mix with the commoners and stuff. So um, he was sort of that, sort of a flip-floppy kind of personality, where he did come from, you know, kind of a Cambridge-educated family and and all that, but he also had that drive to want to explore and go to places like Louisville. And that's what you know, because everybody's. I think who knows much about Louisville, one of the first things that pops in their mind is 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 that area and and the Pink Palace. But I I never knew there was anything like that connected with Crowley until, you know, just recently.
1: Yeah, I, that's so, the first I'd heard about it when you mentioned it to me. I was like, you know, because we've talked about Aleister Crowley probably five different episodes in one way, shape, or another, and. Um, not a big fan of the guy myself I thought I, I think his uh, most evil man in the world was pretty well deserved uh, for the most <clears> part I mean he did come up with his own religion he did you know he was responsible for several cults that popped up and you know other parts of the world and you know he was to me he was just a complete jerk and and at the end I love the fact that he pretty much died all alone and broke and I think yeah, that's exactly what he deserved but that's just me
0: no, no. I mean, and like you said, I mean, I'm, I'm not, a, I'm not saying I'm a cheerleader in any way. Right. Um, you know, I just look at, I'm looking at the fact of, okay, even the worst guy in the world, if he helped in any way to shut down Hitler, I got to give him a little nod, <laughs> maybe not kick him quite as hard in his head, <laughs> but he's still going to get, the, he's still going to get the kick, but you know what I'm saying? Uh, it's like, well, even a, you know, was it? Uh, even a broken clock is right twice a day. Yeah. You know? So there's that, but, but yeah, that, that was one of the things that really struck me because, you know, once I looked at the uh, the actual structure, because most of it's like it was in in the period. You know, it's still got the parquet floors and and the beautiful chandelier and all the woodworking and and the the intricate grout work and and you know, it's got all this different stuff on the outside. Which, if you look at, uh, I don't know how much you've studied up on like Freemasonry and 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 stuff like that and some and symbology. Like even if you look at the main entrance keyway, uh, it has like what appears to be like four-leaf clovers all around the uh keyhole and all this stuff so even in its in in its framework there's uh, mysticism connected with it even in the building of it and uh, i'm not for sure i'm sure that especially during this time freemasonry was still very much a a wealthy man's um club you know it was a It was a movers and a shakers deal. I mean, when I was in, I will say, rephrase that, when I was in the penitentiary, when I worked at the penitentiary, (laughs) a very good number of the officers are masons. You know, and that's not to say everyday masons are bad guys. This is that. most of those guys are in there. It's kind of like a like a boys club, but it's you know, it's not partying. It's just whatever they hang out. It's like a brotherhood, you know. But you know, just like anything, I'm sure Hoover is working at your local courthouse is probably a pretty good guy, but. Maybe the guy five times above him in DC or five times above him and even above DC and whatever, you know, if you believe in secret societies and all that, um, what their agendas are. But, you know, so I mean, you know, and I wonder how much of different policies and, and things in that time stemmed from, you know, Crowley with all of these affluent men in Louisville, you know, and, and, and that it's so strange because, like you said, uh, you know, as towns grow, you know, they move out, they, you know, it's just, they spread out like a ripple and, and it's great that that old part of Louisville has still kept a lot of its, a lot of its charm and more or less it has been kept up and hasn't fallen off into uh, you know, like an urban blight situation. Um, I myself have never got to visit that particular area of Louisville. I mean, I've been up there before, uh, you know, uh, did my corrections training up there and, um but I'd never got to visit there. I actually heard, if I'm not mistaken, um I think the owners now are the previous owners one or the other. Used to have tours and or where you could rent the place overnight if you have an event or something like that. Uh I would love to get up in there and take some equipment and see see what I might be able to shake up, see if I could who knows what we might find up in there. Well
1: the the beauty of it is there's you could probably name 12 15 different locations right off top of your head. In old Louisville, where you can do that on a regular basis. I mean, you've got uh, the old DuPont mansion that's a bed and breakfast that's got all kinds of right. stories behind it right across the street. Uh, one of the There's stories. There's
0: a big pub there, too, isn't it? Yeah,
1: yeah. And then uh, right across the street from that is uh, the Inn at the Park, which they just changed their name. But uh, that's another one. That's actually one of the stories that we do tonight. You can stay there. A, there's no shortage of buildings uh, uh, in old Louisville that have a history that you can actually just stay at or go into anytime you want. The uh, Right there at St. James Court, the uh, Conrad uh, House, that's a museum now, which Mr. Conrad is the one who... Built the St. James Flats. He had a lot of money. I came from no, nothing. He was an immigrant that came over and, and had like basically no money in his pocket and became one of the wealthiest, wealthiest men in Louisville. And uh, he, built, uh, he built the flats there. But that place is a museum, and, and there's all kinds of stories in that, and that's just available any time for people to go into. So, yeah, there's no shortages of, of uh, places to be able to just walk in and feel these eminent presence down in, in old Louisville.
0: Right. Well, you know, and it was a thing where, again, like you mentioned, I am very. Uh, it's not. I have a lot of interest, and I've seen read about a lot of places, and you know, all kinds of pawnings from across the world and throughout history and all that. But obviously, my area, my home, is what I know most about. You know, Western Kentucky and, and Southern Illinois, and, and far, you know. Northeastern Tennessee, you know that's that's my stomping grounds, and that's where all the stories and things that come from my childhood and aunts and uncles and all those people that, you know, you hear these crazy old stories that you think are stories, and come to find out they weren't just stories. You know that they're real life life in these uh, people that, that they're talking about, and and that's just weird. How, like I said, Louisville, um, it's kind of like you know I'm trying to think of the fellow's name. Uh, he wrote a book called I think Ghost of Louisville. I am blanking uh, on his name.
1: Dominey is his last name. I can't think yeah, of
0: his first name. Dave, I think was his name David.
1: I think so, David Domine. David
0: Dominey. Yeah, yeah, like I said, see, uh, you know, and it seems like he's did a lot of really good research on it. So it was one of those things where, because I've had people go, oh, why don't you write, write about Waverly? And I'm like, well, you know, Jesus, you know, why don't I just rewrite the Bible? I mean, everybody's already, <laughs> you know, uh, I mean, there's probably six or seven books out there about it. You know, if, if I was able to go at it from a different angle. Uh, and touch on something that's not been you know I don't want to run down the same path everybody's run down. Right. If I come to a subject, I want to go at it in a fresh way, not for just me, but you know for the reader. Uh, and I do get bored. You know I don't. If it doesn't interest me, I don't want to write about it. And once um, I started writing about um, writing about the book that touches on the pink palace, and I found out there was a Crowley connection and. And I was like, "Oh, well, okay. Now I'm going to have to learn about this." And and the more I learned about it, I was just like, "Wow, this is such a, such an opulent, beautiful place, with still with such a weird history." You know, it was almost like the old Winchester uh, mansion or something like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, and like I said, and I think those sort of stories are going to continue to you know thrill and captivate people because, like you said, a the activity seems to still happen. You know, like we as we mentioned, Mister Avery. Uh, and a lot of times Mr. Avery will appear like uh, before something happens, you know, like you hear about like the hellhounds or the banshees or something like that in different um, uh, different cultures. Like if he would appear, you know, something like uh, appear at your bed, you know, you get scared, you get out of your bed, a rock comes to your window. If you're in the bathtub or something like that, whereas one woman dead, I think in the 60s, um, she would had some toast going on in there. And anyway, he appeared and was like motioning toward the door. She jumped out. I didn't know it, no, it was ran out of the room, ran into the kitchen, and the toaster was start to start starting to burn. And uh, so, you know, I, I you know can, can I validate that? No. Is it interesting? Sure, it is. And and that's the thing. You have to go into it with with that uh, suspension of belief and that open mindedness. You know, because that way, you know, if, if you're looking for pure one hundred percent logic. If any hardly any such, especially the paranormal. Um, I've said it to you before. There's no such thing as you know an expert. There's no such thing as a, as a certified this or that. We're all finding our way through this and speculating, and sometimes we get pretty close to the mark. But it's you know in either way, the hunt is what it's about for me. You know I love finding these things and learning about these things and, and investigating these things, and I think that's what's pulled me into wanting to write about the Pink Palace and involve that part of old Louisville.
1: One of the cool stories I heard about Mr. Avery, I know you said that he shows up uh, to kind of help out, is um, there was a a lady telling a story, and I don't think it was that long ago. I think it's been within the last, like, 15 years, 20 years. But she had a situation to where she saw him, and it was, like, motioning for her to check something out. And the reality of it was there were two burglars that had broke in, and it alerted Mm -hmm. her to two burglars. And that's a pretty cool story.
0: So they need a sign that said like this house protected by Avery Security.
1: Yes, yeah, that's exactly. what You know what?
0: You what? Need. I guarantee someone's going to hear this show. I was trying to say I would make a T-shirt and put the pink palace and say "protected by Avery Security." I, I would be rich in like five minutes in Louisville.
1: That's brilliant. You know, what and it's funny you you were talking about being able to spend the night there. Uh, at one time, you know, I was just out there yesterday, and I think that place may be apartments now because I'm positive there was a for rent sign in the front yard so I'm, I'm sure that's at least some of it is divided up into apartments now that, and that that would be kind of a cool place to live
0: well actually yeah come now that you say that i think it is true because i knew there was a woman talking about a basement apartment so i think it's got it segmented into basement first maybe split into like a duplex on the second or the main floor and possibly the same on the third but i know that uh i'm sure if they've got a room and you know you just want to go in there and do some research and set up microphones and stuff i'm sure as long as you're not tracing through other people's property but but yeah i because i remember seeing a sign it was back about 2011 maybe 2012 and it said hey uh, louvillians um the pink palace is for sale and i went oh someone's going to snag that up i, I, I figured something like the uh what's that bagus bragus guy what his name uh zach
1: oh zach Legis, bagus from Vegas. Uh, yes yeah ghost adventures
0: yep I just—I'm sure that dude was going to buy it up and turn it into like a theme park or a <laughs> something, you know? Because he, he's like buying everything, man. And um, which you know, I was still—if he bought it, I go, hey, let me walk through it. But um, you know, I'm not too proud. But yeah, and and, and it's interesting how you know, 18—what I say? 1891, I believe, to now, all this time, all the lives that this place has had, and that's very indicative of any location that's stood that long and that has been cared for that long uh it's going to continue to have all these lives you know i think it would be interesting if for one night they kind of revisited the gentleman's club thing which i'm like i'm sure you do no what i mean is this <laughs> it's i wonder what it may stir up spiritually i wonder what it may bring you know would you have a bunch of ghosts of the uh, temperance movements like walking in with like the uh the big heck no we won't go out for a drink or something signs and somebody banging on a, a one of those big uh, Bugs Bunny drums through the middle of the halls. I mean, I don't know. It, I still think it would be interesting to, to check it out.
1: I don't know what you think went on here during that Gentleman's Club movement, but I got a feeling that's probably not the way it went.
0: I don't know. I mean, it you know, it, it may be, like I said, very much uh, guys with handlebar mustaches and, and talking about textiles and, and uh, whatever, you know, How they missed the old antebellum period? I don't know. Who knows? (laughs) I mean, uh, you know. But the thing is, if Crowley was there, I don't think they were just playing part cheesy. No,
1: you're you're probably right on that one. I don't think he's. uh, Of course, him. I mean, you didn't know tell us what you know him. He could roll some dice and end up casting a spell by accident. So you don't really want to play board games with Aleister Crowley.
0: No, no, I would agree. Not and. You know, I would be interested in having somebody go through with. Uh, I, I don't know if, if you so much would do this with the stuff that you. Okay, let me rephrase before I even say this because you can go, come on now. Like, you know, how you can go through with the blue light and find signs of any sort of bodily fluids. Right? right. I wonder if, like, where they had used, you know, to draw circles and things like that, if they went across the floors, if any of that evidence of, like, drawn circles and. and you know, runes and stuff that they made maybe with some sort of, uh, oil-based, you know, uh, paint or something like that for some of those rights. If I wonder if they're still there.
1: I can almost guarantee they still are. I mean, they're, cause I think they, like you said, they still got the park case and stuff, but it depends on if they've refinished the floors, uh, because if they've refinished them, then probably not. But yeah, I can almost guarantee there's some kind of remnants left in that place somewhere.
0: Yeah. That's it's like I said, the more I talk about, it, the more I want to go. So, um maybe i'll maybe i'll load up and take the trip sometime soon
1: all you gotta do is let me know when you're down brother we'll go together
0: sounds good man maybe we'll go there uh they still got those uh crawfish boils and stuff like that there
1: this is louisville it's not new orleans
0: no, man, but come on. I mean, there's a lot of there's, there. There is a lot of that influence up there, though.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, there's uh, there's a couple of restaurants like it, but it don't go on like uh like it probably did back in the. I'm sure back in the 1800s there was a whole lot more of. There's it. It a lot more of a French uh, uh Creole type connection, but anymore, it's just the name. I think hmm. I don't see any signs well, of
0: it yet, and still, I'd be up for it.
1: <laughs> Steve Asher, fantastic having you on the show. We appreciate your knowledge uh the book that's been out for for a little bit hunting to the Kentucky State Penitentiary i can't advise you enough to check it out it's an awesome book uh you guys actually sent me a is it called a chit from the uh from death row am i saying that right
0: yes sir it's a chit yeah uh that that was a way that people could trade out uh that to get weapons or, or get equipment and then that way they knew what individual had what tool like so if somebody went home forgot to turn in their their cuffs they knew who to get a hold of it was a good way of knowing who was responsible for what tool and they always said you know you don't you don't give a shit you don't get shit <laughs> right.
1: and basically it's like a little uh round piece of tin it seems like uh and it's got yeah. death row kind of imprinted into it and uh, it's kind of cool to have something that says death row on it that you know came from the prison and uh, well
0: for- i I'll tell you this real quick, and I know you I know you got to go. The uh, that actually is a, uh, a hangover from coal miners that come to work uh, off season or this and that, or a, a line would shut down or whatever, and or farmers who were coal miners part time, and they said, "Well, this is a good way of keeping up with stuff." That actually started out as an old coal mining uh, way of getting pickaxes and all that, because somebody goes, "Oh, who broke this axe? And it wasn't mine. Already turned mine in, and they or people would walk home with axes. So that way they kept up with their gear
1: and the bowling alleys took over the same thing you have to give a shoe to get their shoes
0: very much so i mean who's going to wear them shoes home though i would i
1: would i I like them they're comfortable but and
0: you're 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 more of a risk taker than i am (laughs) but but i'm in western kentucky i don't hardly wear shoes anyway
1: (laughs) that's true i've heard that about you guys steve thanks for thanks for coming on brother when's the new book going to be out
0: uh hauntings of the uh, western lunatic asylum is available for pre-order through amazon simon schuster or you can go through my steve e asher all, all lowercase together, dot com, and uh order it now and it will be in bookstores february 26 i believe
1: steve i appreciate it and I, we're, we're going to have you on uh at another time to talk about the cryptids i know that's another fascination of yours and um i don't do enough of it on the show uh, mainly because I just don't have enough knowledge of it. But uh, I know we talked in the past about having you on to talk about some some cryptids throughout, and uh, I'm sure you can shed some light on some western Kentucky cryptids.
0: I'll do best I can. And, again, it was an honor to be on here, sir, and I appreciate it. And um, God bless you and your missus, and, and I will be in touch. Thank you, sir. So Steve is
1: always a wealth of information. He's super fun to have on, so
3: Yeah, he sure is. I enjoy listening to
1: him. Yeah, he's uh he's a trip, I'm telling you. If you think he's 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 pretty funny when he's actually on the air, you should hear him off the air. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> um, guys, we appreciate everything that you do and uh, we thank you guys. We uh I, I can't even express how happy we were. You know, and if we made it this far and we didn't even mention it. We hit our millionth download.
3: Yes, when did you say that? The other
1: night. And, and that was, um, I, I never, never when we started this did I ever think that would ever be the case. Oh
3: my gosh, how exciting. We were so ecstatic.
1: Uh, I was just, yeah, I was cloud nine. You guys are amazing. And like I said, this all comes from not just you listening, but telling your friends. Because, I mean, if you think about this... We've got 70, 70, over 70 episodes, I guess, and if each one of you listened to it once, that's only 70.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And we've made it to a million, which means yeah. you guys are telling everybody and anybody who will listen, and we couldn't be happier. And, uh, yeah, you guys celebrate with us because we wouldn't be there without you. We wouldn't have a show without you. Everything that we do is because of you guys,
3: yeah, you guys rock seriously
1: and I'm not gonna lie sometimes it's tough doing this show just because you know how life is there's a thousand different things going on and it's hard you know, and then you got deadlines we got to get this show out at this time and we got to get that out at that time and and the research has got to be done and you know I know I'm working seventy to seventy five hours every week I'm literally driving three hours every single day to and from work, and it makes it even harder to Put in the research that needs to be done, and and uh, but then when we see the reviews that you guys leave us, and we see how many people care about the show, and the personal emails and and uh, instant messages that we get telling us what the show means to you, that's what keeps us.
3: Going. Oh my gosh! Yes, absolutely.
1: So we're not going anywhere, that's for sure, and uh, we hopefully you guys aren't going anywhere.
3: Yeah, we hope not.
1: Hang with us, Hang. Yeah. <laughs> so, even though Tracy makes bad jokes, I do. And uh, but we love you guys, and we <laughs> we we can't be more appreciative than yeah, what you guys
3: do. Yeah, we do, we do. We love you guys so very much, and again, thank you for all that you've done for us. And glad to have all these great friends aboard.
1: Absolutely. Um, this would be a good time to point out since I keep forgetting about half the time we have a a, a store that you can actually go buy t shirts and. Um, you name it, mugs, a little bit of everything We got everything, even onesies for the kids All the kids deserve onesies
2: mm-hmm.
1: But anyways, go check it out It's right there uh, on our website And we need more people On our Facebook page I've I kind of let that out And kind of forgot about it But we have fun on our Facebook page That's the easiest way to interact with us Because anytime you write us a note We respond back uh, Tracy hasn't been on there But she will be after today yeah, she hasn't. <laughs> so we've only taken a year and a half to add her to the group.
2: Yeah,
1: uh, but, rude. But she'll be on there and she'll be able to start responding and stuff too. But um, yeah, it's, we we post three different times a day for sure. We post a, a joke in the morning, an afternoon fright, which is some kind of a little scary, might be a scary place in Minnesota, or it might be a story. And then at nighttime we do a twisted thought, which is mm-hmm. usually something that's like pretty disturbing. Yeah,
3: it usually Just, is. Because
1: that's what we want you to think about right before you go to bed. <laughs> And then we post reviews and stuff like that. But uh, anytime you guys uh, want to comment on anything, we always comment back and like them and stuff like that. So it's uh, just look up Hillbilly Horror Stories on there and then on Facebook. And then we've got Twitter. We've got, um, was it Hillbilly Pod? Mm-hmm. I think mean, It's Hillbilly Pod on Twitter, but that's another way to interact with yeah. us. And we're on Instagram too, but I don't do much on Instagram. Mm-hmm. I'm not an Instagram kind of guy like Justin Rumble is. So. Yeah, me neither. Guys, we love you. And we will see you next week.
3: Y'all have a great week. Take care.
0: It is Ryan here. And I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper?